We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A dot com. Thanks for listening. No, it is super good to be here. So I'm the pastor of River Tree Church in Jackson, Michigan, and we have multiplication. Church multiplication is one of our core values. It's something that we believe in very strongly, and that we're engaged in in lots of different ways through supporting and encouraging church plants. And one of those ways is by helping to fund church plants. So we own a resale store that was actually gifted to us, and that's a whole other God story for another day. But that has allowed us to create something we call Freedom Point. And Freedom Point is a, it's a, basically a funding organization for church multiplication. And the heart behind it is this, the, the name comes from the, our town, Jackson, is known in Michigan for one thing, and that's for our prison. <laughs> so when Michigan first became a state, now we're not nearly, we, we have not been around as a state as long as you guys. Actually, no other state has been around, if I am understanding that correctly, right? Okay. Like I saw the license plates and Nick and I went, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. So, but... Michigan, it wasn't until like the 1830s that we became a state, and at that time, Jackson was a very new town, and they decided that they would put the state prison there in Jackson. And so that is what we have been known for since then. And actually, for a long time, we, we still have a state prison. It's still the largest state prison in the state of Michigan. And for a long time, it was actually the world's largest walled prison was in, was in Jackson. And so around Michigan, we are known as Prison City, which is just an awesome thing to be known for, right? <laughs> like, if you're going to be known for something, that's just what we're known for. We're known by the people we incarcerate in Jackson. But what if Jackson became a place where it was known as a, as a, as a, a hub for where people are set free in Christ? Yeah. And so that's why we call ourselves, that's our church planting arm, our multiplication arm is Freedom Point. And so we get to invest in church multiplication and church plants just like this one. Uh, we're investing in four right now, uh, this, this church here in Seaford. We have another Hope Church in Savannah, Georgia that, that, we're, that we're helping to fund. It just worked out that both of you were called Hope Church. And then uh, two in the nation of India that, that are kind of our current, current round of, of plants. But I got to meet Emma and Alfie several years ago when they were going through the process of just exploring church planting and just really got to know them and love them. And so... Um, we got to spend a little bit of time with them on Thursday, but I'm super glad that they get to take some time away. So uh, I'm really, really grateful for that. You will get to meet my wife, Janelle, and my daughter, Kiara, next week. So uh, we have learned. So, so a couple of uh, months ago, we actually did a similar thing where we, we swapped weeks supporting another church, and she went first. And the problem is she sets the bar too high. So you, you will learn that she's like, like, she is my better half. You will get that next week. But like now the bar's like here and you'll just understand that going into it. And I won't be the letdown like I was the, at, at the other church. Um, so, <laughs> so we do have, and I got a couple, I got a picture of our family, I think with some balloons in the background. Yeah. So this is, this is our family. Uh, that's my wife, Janelle, our daughter, Mackenzie, son, Parker and daughter, Kiara. They're 17, 15 and 12. This picture's a few years old. But I wanted to use this picture to set the stage for this story that I'm going to tell because we stumbled into a family hobby about 10 years ago of helping out with hot air balloon events. And it all started because our church plant wanted to help out in our community. And there's a ballooning event that's there in Jackson that's been around for, uh, since, since the early 1980s. And we reached out to a bunch of community events and said, hey, we want to help. We want to be involved in the community. And they got back to us and they said, we would love to have you help. And so we just started getting involved. 
One thing led to another, and I ended up on the board of the event and getting to know some different pilots. And so we have just started this family hobby of crewing for different balloons and helping out at different balloon events. This was a family vacation we took a couple of years ago. I think this was 2019 to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to the, the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta, which is one of the few things in life that I tell people that doesn't let you down when you actually see it. You know, there's, there's so many things where people build it up and they're like, you've got to try this thing. And then you see it and you're like, that was actually kind of lame. I, I, you've, you've, been, you've experienced those things. This was one of those things that didn't disappoint. And I encourage you, so they live stream their, their launches. It's, it's one of the first weeks of October, I believe. And uh, you can hop on, you can watch their launches live stream. And it's, it's fun. We actually, in our, actually, at our gathering at River Tree, the weeks of the balloon event, we will have the live stream of the launch going in between our gatherings because we have so many people that are involved at our festival in Jackson that are a part of it. So, um, but this... The reason I share that is because about 10 years ago, my wife and I uh, went on a balloon flight with one of, the, one of the pilots that was there for the festival. And this was a pilot that wasn't from the area. He was actually, this was a guy from Nevada. There's balloon pilots that they spend their whole summers just touring to different events. And that was what this guy does. He, he's a school teacher during the school year. And then he packs up a trailer and he just flies balloons all summer, which sounds like a really awesome gig. But he was, he was new to flying in this area. And so we took off and we were, we were been flying for maybe a half hour. We flew over our downtown area and over some parks. And I think there's a picture of, of, of the park there. And I'm sorry. Yeah, these were, so that's my wife. This was, again, this was 10 years ago. She has not aged as much as I have. So you, you'll still see her and be like, oh yeah, we saw a picture of you. We flew over, over this park. And then we got out kind of out to the outskirts of our town. And the pilot looked at me and he said, where is there around here to land? And if you've ever done anything with hot air balloons, you'll know that they can't steer. They only go where the wind takes them. And so I looked at him, and I'm not a balloon pilot. I've driven around this community my whole life, but I don't drive around going, hey, that'd be a really good place to park my hot air balloon. Like, that's just not on my radar. And so I said, I don't have any idea. He said, oh, it's okay. We'll be fine. And we kept flying. <laughs> and another half hour went by, and he started to get nervous. And now you never want to be flying and having your pilot get nervous. Like, I, 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 like, like when I fly commercially, I like it because there's this door between me and the cockpit. Like if anything's going wrong, I don't want to know about it. Like just keep me in the dark. But he starts to get nervous. And he's, he said, well, we, we, we've got to find a place to land soon. And all we were seeing were, were trees and farmer's fields. And, and pilots really don't want to land in a farmer's field because it'll damage the crops. And so... We were, we were trying to avoid that. And eventually he got to the point where he said, whatever we see next, whatever's flat, we're just going to come down because we were going to run out of fuel. And just about that time, we crested over some trees and there was a farm with what looked like horse pens. And we looked around and we didn't see any horses. We didn't see any wild animals. And so he said, there, we're, set, we're setting down there. And so he set the balloon down in that pen. And he asked my wife to get out and to go and ask if we could take the balloon down. And that's something you do is when you, when you set down, you'll, they'll ask the landowner, hey, can we take the balloon down in your yard? And most of the time, they think it's awesome. This is like one of those, those, those core memory events. They'll get the kids, they're taking pictures, it's awesome. That's like 95% of the time. But it's not 100% of the time. And so my wife got out of the basket and she, she went to the, the gate and she couldn't get the gate open. So she hopped over that fence and she landed in, in another pen when she did that. She hopped over a fence there and then she, she went around the corner. And so it's just the pilot and I and we're standing in the basket and the balloon is still inflated over us and we're just waiting on my wife to come back. But we've been flying for a long time. And something that you learn about balloons is that they only fly 
in the morning and in the evening. If you've ever been to an event, there's usually between six and seven in the morning, between six and seven in the evening, give or take a little, and that's because of the winds. And when the sun comes up in the morning, it starts to create updrafts, which are, which are dangerous for the pilots. And we had flown so long that now the sun was getting pretty high in the sky and there were some updrafts that we couldn't see, but all of a sudden it felt like a giant had grabbed the envelope of that balloon and jerked it in the air. And we were 20 feet in the air, like in a split second. And the pilot grabbed, he grabbed this cord that's in the middle of the, goes all the way up to the top of the envelope and he pulled on it. And that basically releases all of the hot air out of that, out of that envelope. And we slammed to the ground, we went boom. And the, the, the envelope of the balloon just deflated all around us. And he looked at me, he was like, well, it doesn't matter what they say. <laughs> We're down. And it was just a minute or two later, my wife came around the corner. And if, if you've got a significant other and you know them decently well, and there's, they've got that look when there's something that's wrong. <laughs> and I knew as soon as she came around the corner, I'm like, oh, we've got, we've got trouble. And she came around the corner. She said, Andy, she is here and she is mad. And right about that time, the landowner came around the corner with a four-wheeler and, and a dog that was, you know, the dogs that are like, the line between horse and dog gets kind of fuzzy because the dog is so big. That's the size of the dog this lady had with her. And she was yelling. She's yelling, didn't you see the signs? We're like, ma'am, we didn't come from the road. <laughs> we had actually flown from the back of her property. We didn't have any idea. She said, didn't you see the signs? No, we didn't see the signs. Well, it turned out we didn't land in a horse pen. This woman, I had no idea we had this in our area. She has a sanctuary for endangered animals. We landed in a wolf pen. And there was a wolf in the pen with us. <laughs> in fact, my wife, when she got out of the basket, she hopped into the, the, the open wolf pen. And when she climbed the fence, she had hopped into another wolf pen in order to go to, uh, to, to, to ask this lady for her permission. I learned a valuable lesson that day. Wolves are scared of hot air balloons. We never saw that wolf. And so if you're ever being chased by a wolf and you happen to have a hot air balloon with you, this could save your life, right? This is life-saving information. And so we ended up, we got the balloon down, and, and I, spent, I was a, a representative of the event, so I spent a lot of time trying to calm that lady down. And now when our pilots come to the event, they get a map with, with big red circles of where not to land. <laughs> and, and her little wolf pens are a big red circle on that map now because we, we, we learned our lesson. The reason I share that story is that if you walk with Jesus long enough, the Holy Spirit will blow you in directions that you don't really want to go. That there will be times when the Holy Spirit, you'll be up, and that like, just like a balloon pilot, they can't, they can't steer once they're up there. They've just got to go wherever the wind takes them. And when you, when you lean into this relationship with Jesus, there will be times when the Holy Spirit will take you places that are amazing. And you really want to go in that event, that feel like an adventure. And it feels like, like God is bringing you freedom and this new life. And it's fantastic. And then there will be seasons where the Holy Spirit will ask you to let go of something you don't want to let go of. Or where the Holy Spirit will ask you to pick up something you don't want to pick up. Or to do something you don't want to do. And those are hard moments. And so what do you do with those? What do you do when the winds of the Spirit blow you somewhere you don't want to go? I want to, just for a few minutes, look at the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 36, because this is a moment where the Spirit is blowing Jesus in a direction he doesn't want to go. There's, there's 
a reality of Jesus when he was here on this earth that at the same time he was 100% God and 100% man. And that, if that makes your head hurt to think about, then you're starting to wrestle with it. I had a professor in college that called it hot ice cream. It's these two things that don't seem to mix at all. And, but that's the, the, the reality of the nature of Jesus. And there are times in the stories of Jesus where his divinity, where the fact that he's God is kind of the thing that, that we see the most. So he's healing people. He raises somebody from the dead. He takes a couple of loaves of bread and some fishes and he multiplies them and he feeds thousands of people. That's the God side of Jesus. But then there are some other moments where we really see the human side of Jesus. And this is, this is I think, one of the most raw, if not the most raw moments that Jesus has. Because this is the night before he's going to be crucified. And so just prior to this passage that we're going to read, Jesus had had a meal with his disciples. It's a meal we refer to as the Last Supper because it's the last, it's the last meal they have together. And then after that meal, he asks them if they would go for a walk with him. And they go for, they go for a walk, and it would have been about a two-mile walk. It would have taken about 40 minutes. It's not, not a super short walk, but not a super long one either. And it was a path that they had walked many times before. So they would have walked to get from where they had that last supper to the place where they were going. They, they would have walked down beside, there was this huge, huge wall that had been built to hold the temple. The temple had been expanded just uh, about several decades before this, but not terribly long. And there's a huge, huge supporting wall. And there have been the walls of the temple. And they walked along this huge wall and they would have gotten outside the city gates and they would have been in a kind of a valley. Actually, not kind of a valley, a valley. So if you, if you think of Jerusalem, you can think of some big hills, and the city of Jerusalem is on one hill, and there's a valley called the Kidron Valley that's, that's down at the bottom of that hill, and then another hill starts, and that's what they did was they, they, walked, they walked down through that Kidron Valley, and then they started up that other hill, and that's a hill that we refer to as the Mount of Olives. And the reason it was called the Mount of Olives is it was used as a place to grow olives. <laughs> See? Yep. Yeah. But he went to a place in the middle of that hill that we refer to as Gethsemane. And I want to read to you what happens there. This is Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 36. It says this. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This garden that Jesus went to, I mentioned that we call it Gethsemane, and the, the Hebrew the Hebrew for that garden, which is what Jesus and his disciples would have used to, to talk about the garden, was Gatshamin. And Gethsemane is kind of our English, like meshing together of these two, these two words, Gatshamin. And Gatshamin meant the place of the crushing. What you did at Gatshamin was you, you, you gathered, you harvested the olives, and you brought them to Gatshamin, the place of the crushing, so that you could crush those olives and get the olive oil out of them. But I think it was really symbolic that Jesus chose that place in that garden to go. He even told his, he told his disciples, he said in verse 38, he said, my soul is crushed with grief. He went to this place of the crushing in this moment when he was feeling crushed. 
And I don't know if you've ever been in one of those places, but they're hard. And you just want, the only thing you want is to get out of that place. <laughs> and you want, you'll do almost anything to leave that place. I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go to Israel, and we were up in this, in this area on the, the Mount of Olives, and the, our, our leader pointed this out, and I never, I never knew this. So I mentioned those two hills. There's, there's Jerusalem and there's the Kidron Valley and then there's the Mount of Olives. The top of the Mount of Olives, there's, there are a couple of little communities. And then if you walked past those little communities, you're in what, what was just referred to as the wilderness. It was the place where you went if you wanted to disappear. You may, if you've been around the church, you may be familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that Jesus told of a man who was traveling and he was traveling in this place of the wilderness and there are thieves there that beat him up and take his stuff because that was the kind of thing that happened in the wilderness. You, you, you could disappear and if you were trying to escape from the law, if you were trying to escape, escape from people, go to a place where nobody could find you, you went to the wilderness. The wilderness was only about 200 yards from where Jesus was praying that day. If Jesus had gotten up from where he was praying, he could have walked the length of two football fields and escaped the cross. No one would have found him. But he didn't. He stayed in that place of crushing. Again, what do you do when the Holy Spirit is blowing you in a direction you don't want to go? Jesus, Jesus, divinity understood this is what has to happen, but in this moment, his humanity is going, but I don't want to go through with this. So what can, we, what can we draw from Jesus' experience and from this passage? The first thing I would say is that we as, as followers of Christ, we need to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. And this, this is one of, if not the most important thing for a follower of Christ to learn, is what does the voice of the Holy Spirit sound like in your life? It's also one of the hardest things to teach. And I say this at River Tree all the time, that this is something that, that I hope and pray that, that we're able to help you in, in, in learning and understanding what the Holy Spirit is saying. But it's also one of those things where I can't sit down and just teach you five quick and easy points so that you know what the Holy Spirit sounds like. This is something that you have to intentionally engage with. You have to intentionally spend time in God's Word. You have to intentionally spend time try, listening and praying and saying, saying, God, I want to hear from you. And then I would encourage you, spend some time, as you, as you do that, spend some time writing the things down that you feel like God might be saying. And that sounds weird. And that feels weird at first because you feel like, well, I don't know if I should be, like, 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 if I should be writing things down from God to me. But I encourage you to do that. Process those in that way. And then go to somebody who's maybe just a little bit further in their spiritual journey than you are and say, hey, this is what I think God's been saying to me. Can you help walk me through this? Because it may be that that's the Holy Spirit. It may be that that's the pepperoni pizza from the night before. <laughs> and so they can be hard, especially as, you're, as you're, 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 you're walking into this and trying this out, discerning between the two of those things. And that's important because when the winds of the Spirit blow you in a direction that's difficult, then God's going to be with you. But if it's the pepperoni pizza or just your own desires blowing you in a direction that's difficult, you don't have that promise. And so there's a lot of people that'll set off on things because they think, well, that's what I, I want to do. That's what just feels right to me in the moment. 
And they end up in a mess and they say, well, God, where were you? And God's going, I didn't tell you to go that direction. I didn't tell you to go that way. It's like your GPS when they, if you ever go, don't follow your GPS and it starts yelling at you, it starts going recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Um, <laughs> like, like there are those, there are those moments. And so that's why it's so crucial to, to wrestle this to the ground. The, in this moment, Jesus is convinced. He knows this is the way he's got to go. And so because of that, he, he is willing to stick it out. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. This is, this is Jesus talking to his disciples who are, uh, this is after his death, his burial, his resurrection. Now he's got a season where he's ministering to them before, he's, before he ascends into heaven. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, he says he it says he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These were the disciples. These were, these were people who had spent three years being taught by Jesus. <laughs> they had walked side by side with Jesus. If there, were any, if there was ever a group of people equipped for ministry and ready to just go and do it, it was these people. But even that group, Jesus said, you can't do what I have for you to do without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. And if the disciples couldn't do it, <laughs> we sure can't do it. So we need to learn to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit. The sec just the second thing is that understanding that God is more concerned with changing you than changing your circumstances. Here's what often happens when we find ourselves in a place of the crushing is that we spend all of our energy and effort trying to figure out how to get out of it. All of our prayers are focused around how do I get out of this thing? When in fact God might be using that crushing to shape you and to bring about something new and beautiful inside of you. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Mark Batterson and, and he, he put it this way. He said, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we get so focused on getting out of them that we fail to get anything out of them. And I don't know, my, my guess, just because anytime there's a group of people together in a room, that there are people here who are in a season of crushing. I have to say, like, about a year ago, I was going through one of those seasons. I went through some, some, some health problems that basically from, from June to, to December of last year were somewhat miserable for me. And went lots of doctor's visits and lots of doctors looking at me and going, oh, I, we don't know what it is. We can tell you what it's not, but we can't tell you what it is and we can't tell you how to get better. And it was frustrating. And I spent a lot of time in that season just trying to figure out how to get out of that. But I began to realize that God wanted to use this in my life. And he shaped me. He did, some, he did some deep work inside of me in that season that I don't think he could have done if I hadn't gone through that. And then I wanted to mention this, is don't stay in that place of crushing on your own. Jesus took his, some of his disciples. He didn't take all of them. But he took the really close ones with him. Now, they fell asleep, which is a whole other sermon for another day, right? But if you are in one of these places, what tends to happen is, is that we allow those events to make us withdraw from people. 
is that when we are feeling crushed by life, we don't want to let anyone else know. So we stop calling our friends. We stop gathering with the church. We don't allow those things to lift us up and support us that, that God has placed around us to, to support us. And we end up doing this on our own or trying to do it on our own. And if you're in one of those seasons, if you're in a season of crushing, I, I, just, want to, I just want to encourage you, don't do it on your own. And if you're not in one of those seasons right now, maybe you know somebody who is, don't allow them to do it on their own. When I was in my season a year ago, I had to lean into some people. I, I had to get myself a counselor. Like there were lots of things that, that, I, that I tried to do to try to bring some people with me in that. And that's what Jesus did in that place. You walk with Jesus long enough and the winds of the Spirit are going to blow you to some places that are crushing, that are places that are hard. And when he does that, don't, don't just spend all of your time trying to figure out how to get out of it. Take some people with you and let God use that in your life. Because we don't know what he's doing. And that's frustrating for us. But we don't. So I, uh, I'm, I'm a space nerd. And my, my friend Nick knows this, even to the point where he said, he said, I know that enough, this enough that I don't even make fun of you about it anymore. And uh, my daughter, she's not here. She'll be here next week with my wife. And anytime I tell a story from the space program, she rolls her eyes. And she, so she's not here this morning, so I get to tell a space story. And, um, and she, I just, I won't tell her that I told a story. But so we, when you think of the Apollo program, and maybe, maybe that's something you're familiar with. Maybe you're like, yeah, I remember hearing about that in school. Don't worry about it. Apollo 11's the biggie that we, that we think about. That was where we landed on the moon for the first time. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins up in the command module circle around. Like that's the mission that, that's kind of the famous one. But I have, I have a couple of favorites that are favorites beyond that. And one of them is the mission that was Apollo 8. And this is, this is one of the kind of lesser known, lesser known Apollo missions. And you've got Frank Borman and uh, Jim Lovell and Bill Anders. If you've seen Apollo 13, Jim Lovell was the commander on Apollo 13, that guy over there, over there on the right. But this, this, was, this was Apollo 8. And this was the first time we ever flew to the moon. They didn't land on the moon, but they flew to the moon. And I want us to process how crazy it was what these three guys were willing to do to do that. So if I was aiming to land on the moon, I would look at the moon and I would say, okay, I'm going to go to the moon and then that's, that's the direction I've got to go. But the problem is that the moon is traveling at 2,288 miles an hour as it's, as it's orbiting the Earth. 2,288 miles an hour. And it's going to take about 51 hours for us to get to the moon. At least that's how long it took the, the Apollo astronauts. That means that the moon is going to travel 118,000 miles from the moment that you light your rockets and start heading to the moon. The moon is not going to be where it is. It's going to be 118,000 miles away from there. So what these guys had to do is they had to get into orbit. And once they were in orbit, they had to point their spacecraft at a blank spot in space that it, all of the math said that's where the moon's going to be. But at that point, it was 118,000 miles away from where the moon was, and they had to light their rockets and head for that point in space. If they miss the moon, they're having a really bad day, and they don't get to come home. If they aim too close to the moon, they're having a really bad day. It's just a much shorter day than if they miss the moon. 
They have to hit it just right. Not only that, but when you, when you see the pictures, do I have one more of the, of the just the, so, so this guy, that's the, the command module thing. And it, we would look at that and we would say, well, that's the, that's the front of it. That's, that would be the direction that they fly. But they actually flew backwards from that. And so as they're traveling towards the moon, they can't even see the moon. They are absolutely, totally taking by faith that the math that they have been given is going to get them where they want to go. So often in our relationship with God, this is the way things are. Where the Holy Spirit says, you need to head that direction. And you say, no, 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 you don't understand. That's where I want to go. Yeah, head that direction. But too often we are stubborn and we go, nope, I want to do that. And we don't let the winds of the Spirit take us where the Spirit wants to take us. And 51 hours, the equivalent of 51 hours later in our lives, we get to where we thought we wanted to go and we realize it wasn't where we really wanted to be in the first place because we weren't willing to trust that direction. Where is the Holy Spirit asking you to go? Is there something hard that the Holy Spirit's asking you to do? Something that the Spirit's asking you to let go of? Something the Spirit's asking you to pick up? And maybe you have been, you've been, you've been pushing against that because you know it's going to be hard. I want to just give us a minute. And I want to give us, a, give us some space to let the Holy Spirit speak. And if you are in that place inside of you where you, you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to do this thing, I would encourage you, write that thing down and find somebody again who's maybe a little bit further in their spiritual journey with, than you and say, hey, this is what, I'm, this is what I feel like I'm, I'm sensing. Help me process this. And then it, when you're sure, go do it. Even if it's hard. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us. That you would help us to, to become better and better and better at identifying your voice and your presence in our lives. And I pray for those times, those moments when you ask us to do things that are hard. Lord, I pray for those who are in this room who are in a moment like that. Maybe they're in a moment even that feels like that moment that Jesus was in where they're saying, I, don't, I, don't, I just I don't want to do this. I don't want to let go of this. I don't want to pick this up. I don't want to do that thing. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust your spirit. Help us not to do our best to get out of those moments, but I pray, Lord, that you would bring about inside of us what you want to bring about inside of us through those moments. And Lord, I pray that you would help us just like Jesus brought along some friends in that moment that you would help us to bring friends with us. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.